Hi, everybody. This is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicle Stories of the Supernatural. How are you all doing today? And today I have a gentleman out from the West Coast. His name is Brian Clooney. And Brian is a historian. And uh, he is the co-founder of Planet Paranormal. And he's also an author of California's Historic Cons and Ghosts of the Queen Mary um, his love of history has led him to volunteer at both the USS Iowa and Fort MacArthur Military Museum. Uh, his involvement with Planet Paranormal has led him to be involved with many TV shows, including Ghost Adventures, Ghost Hunters, The Dead Files, and My Ghost Story. And he was also the focus of a companion documentary for the film Paranormal Asylum. So how are you doing this evening, Brian? I am doing absolutely fantastic, and I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to correct you on my last name. It's Clune, not Clooney. Oh, I'm Clooney. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm giving not, you that hearty at the end. I'm sorry. Absolutely not a problem. Uh, in French, it uh, 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 means clown, so we won't even go there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It really does it? Are you kidding? Is it? I, mean, I don't no, know. No, I mean, no, no, I I'm, took I'm, high school French, but I never got into the club part. I'm thinking, is he serious? No, no, it's not. Really. Yeah, no, I, no, I'm, I'm not kidding. I don't know. There, there's a show called Baskets. Uh huh. Yeah. And it's Baskets yeah. the Clown. And they had a promo that that uh, had him saying, "You are not a clown. You will never be a clown." Oh my And he was God. saying clown. So oh, okay. Like, okay. <laughs> That's like the Pink Panthers, you minky. Okay. All right. Let me. Uh, uh -huh. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, Brian, um, one of the things that I always ask my guests, you know, that are involved, of course, in the paranormal is um, what did what propelled you into the paranormal? Was it something that happened to you as a child? Was it as an adult? What happened? Well, well my father died when I was uh, three years old. Okay. And I kind of, I kind of grew. He he stayed around until my mother passed in '87. Mm-hmm. But I never really. I had a couple experiences when I was a kid, but but nothing that ever really like stuck with me. Okay. And then um, a few years ago, when my oldest son turned 18, we kind of started to drift apart. Um, he him and I spent a lot of time in the uh, Boy Scouts. Okay. I was still in the Boy Scouts with my other son and my nephew. Okay. So it didn't leave a whole lot of time for me to spend with my oldest son. So I asked him if there was something we could do together, and he said, let's go ghost hunting, at which point I was seriously thinking about sending him to a shrink. It's like, why not? Um, <laughs> All right. It's like Yeah. Well, he, he, he talked me into it, um, okay. and I found, I found Planet Paranormal, and uh, – it just kind of went from there. Okay. And obviously it did take off with you because um, I imagine you you stayed involved with it even if beyond just trying to spend time with your son, right? Because it looks like... Exactly. Uh, I mean, and what was it about it? What, did you have some type of experience once you started going out there with him or what was it about it? That no. <laughs> it... Um, it it was, I was having fun with him, mm -hmm. but I also clicked with the people in the team itself. Um, Planet Paranormal was always a very small team. 
Okay. Uh, there were actually only four of us, uh, three when I, I began. Um, and then, well, I should say five because of my son. Right. Um, and we just all clicked. And I was having so much fun uh, going out and what, at, at that time, I was just thinking urban exploring. Right. Um, and then something happened. I had my first experience, which was on board the Queen Mary. Okay. And uh, I've, I've been hooked ever since. Okay. That's what it takes one time that, and, and, and you know, I've told that sometimes things happen to you that even if you don't necessarily capture it, if you have that experience, that firsthand experience where it's like, I know what I felt or what I saw or what, whatever. It's like, okay, so if I didn't capture it, but I know what, you know, you're convinced and that's all it takes. Like something goes off that you have that, what, what do I call it? That coming to Jesus moment where you say, I get it now. I really do get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, it was, the, the first experience I had was rather amusing. Um, I had been with the team for maybe seven, eight the first three months because I'd be walking around the, another place we were investigating just okay. going yeah I'm not getting anything nope nope nothing and so they, they would start mimicking me and <laughs> the 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 night that I had my first real experience um I was walking down the this this little narrow short corridor to get into the change rooms in the pool Okay. The Queen Mary first class pool. And the rest of the team was at the very end of the pool, completely opposite from where I am. And as I was halfway through this corridor, I just get this in my ear. And I could feel my earlobe vibrate. Oh, my God. I kind of, I kind of stopped. And and it's a, it's a ghost that we've nicknamed grumpy, obviously. Okay. Um, So I, I kind of stop, I turn around, and I walked out. Of course, <laughs> no. they say I ran, but I will never admit to that. Um, but by the time I got out, they were they were busy just, I mean, literally laughing so hard, a couple of them were on the floor. Had, w- and <laughs> Had they had that experience? Or- I'm sorry, what was it? They heard, they heard Grumpy growl at me. Oh, my. So they're like, so here he when comes. I, <laughs> Yeah, so what, so when I came out of the the, the change room, you know they they knew that uh, I was going to be a little different, shall we say? So it was, uh, yeah. and they will never let. They keep saying that was my dude run moment. Wow, wow, and I know that. Yeah, that that the Queen Mary has, from what I hear, it's like Grand Central Station. It's got ghosts and from everywhere, and um, but they've got some that are very well known in certain parts of the ship that mm-hmm. a lot of people have experienced yeah. it. And I know I heard also yeah, that the uh, pool area is the most uh, active area on the ship. Is that correct? Um, I wouldn't say the most active, um, but I would say the most active that you can get to. Okay. Um, and she's the, the best known spirit on the ship. Okay. Um, and she does like to hang out in the first class pool area, mm-hmm. but we've captured her voice. So the, 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 the spirits on the ship do tend to wander around and, you know, we don't know what their, uh, 
what their reality is. So right, they could exactly. just be, uh, you know, wandering the ship, you know, thinking they're on a cruise. Yeah, for all we know, they, that's the way they see it. Yeah. They're, they're on a perpetual cruise. Exactly. I mean, that, that might be where I go when I finally pass. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, who knows? At the end of the day, we really don't know. It's only so much. We only kind of get a glimpse every now and again. Um, exactly. Do you think that there's any ghosts there that have just, uh, for lack of a better word, are hitchhikers? They, they really didn't e either die or work on the on that ship but they've ended up haunting it do you think that's the case um you know it, it's it's quite possible um i don't know if you're familiar with uh, uh peter um he yes. did a sh show weddings. yes yes of course yeah yeah he's also the one that uh uh, did the uh, uh, Sally case uh, yes, in right, the Sally uh, Kansas? House, right. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, he he claims that there are a minimum of six hundred spirits on board the ship, but even he said that that there are most likely more. Wow. And we've we've run into uh, spirits on there that we can't really place as far as uh, a timeline. So okay. it is quite possible that, you know, people just have have migrated to the ship af after passing for whatever reason. That's a you lot know, of maybe, Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, that's, a, that's, I mean, I mean, because I know that, you know, besides being an ocean liner and, you know, you get your own drama going on there, but, uh, you know, during the war, I mean, it was used for so many things that you could see definitely how, uh, you know, it would end up with some type of intelligent or active haunting. Uh, and Brian, it sounds like, you know, you've been out there a while. Have you seen any type of rhythm or timing as far as the hauntings where there's a period of more activity versus where it slacks off? Or is it kind of constant all across? Um, it's, it's fairly constant. However, um, the period between October 31st mm -hmm. And December 9th, okay. which, coinc which coincides with the exact timeline of the ship's final voyage, final cruise, okay. uh, seems to be the most active period on the ship. Really? Um, so, yeah, we, we tell people, and, and you can actually book your own investigations on the ship now. Yeah, I've heard um, that. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah which, which is actually fantastic. I mean, a team can go in get their own investigation and um, there's no general public. It's just your team, a security guard and uh, the paranormal ambassador, Matt Schultz, uh, who That's takes great. you around That's all the fantastic. different areas. Yeah. It's fantastic. Um, so when, when people ask us, you know, well, when should we do it? We always kind of give them that timeline. Okay. Cause that's, that's the, the, the best time to actually be able to catch evidence, not to say you're absolutely going to. Right. But, I know. I know. That's um, not an on-demand thing. It's You have your best shot. Right. Exactly. And and that, you know, and that's the thing, you know, some, and I'm glad they did that because, you know, a lot of places, you know, if you've got a lot of ambient noise and you've got people trucking around, forget it. You could just, for, you're not, it's much yeah, more it, difficult. It gets difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the thing that's nice about the uh, the investigation is is they tell you all of the different areas of the ship that are normally off limits okay. to the general public, and they and they will take you down there. 
Wow. That's good. That's excellent yeah, so, as a matter yeah, of fact. So it, it's, yeah, it's really cool. So if, if you ever want to come out to California and uh, you know what? <clears throat> when my uh, son, do an my investigation son was on the Queen Mary, let us know. My son was stationed out there in Coronado Island when he was in the Navy. And I, at that uh-huh. time, you know, I would go out there a lot. And I have a good friend of mine that lives up in Merced. But I haven't been there in a few years, and I've been thinking about it. But it's like, you know, before when I had a kid out there, you know, I was, which was my youngest, I'd go out there a lot. And then I, I yeah. now that I think about it, I could kick myself for not having gone while I was there. But yeah, I've thought about You've it. You've never been to the Queen Mary? No. No. I mean, and I was oh, there. I was in really San should. Diego. I was so close. You know, I went to San Francisco. Uh, but always, you know, my time was always limited. You just, I didn't get around to it. And now it's like, oh, Marlene, why didn't you? But yes, absolutely. Yeah, well, I mean, j- j- just remember the ship itself is uh, also a hotel. So yeah, uh, I've seen that they that they're actually like a like you book a room, kind of deal. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's a it's a great way to to see the ship, definitely. And let me ask something, Brian. Uh, um, since you've gone there, and have you had any come across any um, entities that, besides this guy that growled in your ear? which has got to be pretty um, disquieting. Have you ever come across anything that you felt like, what is this? Like, because I think once, when you start doing paranormal investigations, you kind of develop this threshold of, for something to like, really like put you back on your heels. I mean, you're used to the cold spots. You know, not, not at the Queen Mary, no. Um, and that's that's one of the things that um, I've always found a little surprising is with the amount of spirits that are uh, reported to be on the Queen Mary, we have never run up against anything that we think is harmful, that, that we think means to do people harm. Okay. Um, some, some other locations, yes, uh, but the Queen Mary, never. Um, and that was one of the reasons why we were kind of upset about uh, the Ghost Adventures episode when they were on the Queen Mary, is they made everything out to be evil and demons, and I know. it was just kind of like, Ugh. I know, and I, yeah. I, think, I think that the D word's overused personally. It's like, what? You know, everything ends up being yeah. the D word, demon. It's like, no, come on. And, and yeah, I tell exactly. you know what, I, I've been doing investigations since the 1990s, long before it became the reality TV thing. And right. I tell people, you know what, uh, you can run across an entity that was a really bad person in life. And uh, if for whatever reason, they're still a discarnate and they can be really bad. They don't have to be a demon. It could be a human entity that will, uh, that you really don't want, you know, will give you almost that sixth sense that you have like that danger that you're in the presence of something that's really negative and it doesn't have to be a demon it could just be a regular human being that was just a bad person and they're still a bad or angry or violent person after death yeah Um, exactly and uh that's another thing that peter james had uh, was always saying was that um a person who was nice will be a ghost who is nice Mm-hmm. A person who was mean and nasty is going to be the same after they die, and they'll be a mean and nasty ghost. Yeah. That yeah. He, uh, he says that, you know, your personality doesn't change just because you've passed to a different realm. Right. You don't grow wings all of a sudden. On the contrary, you know, the if you were like a violent or angry individual or for some reason you don't want to be dead, God, 
yeah, you just don't become a, a nice person. And I think that's why I'm saying that sometimes investigators will run across uh, either a communication or a feeling or actually see something or uh, and they and they just because it's negative or I'm going to use the word malevolent, they immediately think uh, non-human. And I'm thinking, not really. Right. There's plenty of humans running out there even after death that are like you wouldn't be want to you know, anywhere near them, much less in a dark place, like, which is where a lot of paranormal investigations take place. Uh, right, exactly. I mean, you know, and like we just had uh, Charles Manson pass away. Oh my God, yes. I really, I really don't think that you're going to get a good feeling if you run across his spirit. No, absolutely not. But I mean, besides the fact you know, that he was, uh, and, 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 and you know yeah, what, no. and when you look at a personality like that, you think how much of this is mental illness and how much of this is really evil, pure evil. Um, yeah, yeah uh, I, I did a lot of research on uh, Manson for uh, my newest book. Okay. And um, he, the thing that's really scary about uh, Manson was the fact that he was very intelligent. Oh, he, did, he never finished school, but he was a very intelligent person, and he used that intelligence to um, sway people. And he actually learned how to sway people while in prison, wow. which is really kind of kind of scary. Mm-hmm. So, and it makes you know. think. Most people, when you look back, you think to yourself, you know, how could anybody talk you into basically following them to the point of killing other humans on their behalf, which is what he ultimately did, amongst other things that he would get people to do for him. And yeah, I, I'm sure it doesn't and, work on everybody. It's actually, but, yeah. Uh, well, I, I think a, I think of a lot of his followers had to, I'm not going to say had to have had a weak mind, mm-hmm. but maybe um, a weak spirit that, right. you know, it's like they were, they were looking for something and Manson just yeah. filled it at the time. Yeah. 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 They were, it was like uh, the other day, you know, of course, because when he died, yeah. everybody that day was, they were talking constantly about him and all his followers and I can't remember where I was saying that most of these uh, followers even though they came from middle class families uh, all of them in their background they had had some type of um, either family crisis molestation abuse you know they had something in their background like you said that that doesn't automatically make you but maybe some personalities it just makes them easier or like you said more willing to run across a Manson personality and they believe it. They're looking either for an authority figure, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. And the next thing you got, you got stuff like what happened there, which is incredible. Yeah, exactly. And I remember um, about a year ago, no, it was more, a couple of years ago, I was up in the Moundsville Penitentiary, which is where he's originally from. And uh, they had a note on there that at one point he had tried to transfer. He wanted to transfer back to be transferred to the Moundsville Penitentiary because he wanted to be close to his family. And uh, the warden there said, nope, thanks, but you are too notorious. In other words, any any prison that had to house him, it was going to be too much trouble, and they turned uh, down his request. Well, I know um, he when he was being released from uh, Terminal Island uh, Penitentiary, which is really close to my house, Wow. He had actually asked the warden and the prison system not to be released. Really? He said that he felt he said that he felt more comfortable in prison, 
and prison was more of a home to him than the outside, and he didn't believe he could make it on the outside, and they turned him down. Hmm. So he he then requested uh, of his uh, uh, at his parole hearing right. that he be allowed to go up to the San Francisco Bay Area. And he convinced them that because of the whole summer of love and and peace and all of that, that that would be good for him. And basically all that did was give him a a captive audience to uh, sway people to to his psychotic beliefs. Yep. Yep. And yeah, it's it's incredible sometimes how certain things turn out the way they do just based on the timing. Yeah. Uh, and what's even more scary is he actually has more followers today than he did back then. I heard that. And I was like, are you, what, what is wrong? Yeah. It's, I, I don't understand. I mean, um, I, I've been to uh, the Spawn Ranch area and uh, the police will actually tell you, you know what, you, you, you might not want to go there because there are a lot of his followers that show up. And uh, so I started to do a little research on that, and it, it is absolutely amazing. He's probably got five or six times more now than he did back then. Scary. Isn't, you know, and to me, I'm thinking to myself, okay, so basically you're following someone who was a proponent of massacring people. And, and because this is the thing, you know, sometimes murders are carried out but there's uh, revenge or there's, in other words, there was some type of tie between the parties where they either hated you, it was love, I hate you now, or revenge. So there's some type of dynamic there, but he didn't know these people. None of them knew. I mean, in other words, it's the killing for the sake of killing. Well, uh, yes and no. I mean, the reason that he picked um, the the Tate residence mm-hmm. um, was because of Terry Melcher. Um, so he, he had gone there a few days before looking for, for Melcher. Right. Um, but, but Melcher had moved out. Right. That's what I was so, going to ask you about. I had heard something that he, I didn't know that he already knew ahead of time that he wasn't there. I thought that he still thought he was there. No, no, he knew he wasn't there. Oh, okay. 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 But um, uh, the, he was trying to start a race war. Um, right. and he just decided, all right, um, I know there's, I, I know that these are wealthy families. Um, and I'm just going to go ahead since I know where the house is. I know it's secluded. I know it'll be an easy, uh, mark to, uh, ah. uh, so he went ahead and sent his followers there. The La Bianca residence he knew it was a wealthy neighborhood and knew where it was because he had been to a party a few months earlier um, at one of the neighbor's house. And so he just picked that at random because he kind of knew where it was. Right. He was scoping it out. Right. And all of these people, it it, kind of drives me crazy. Oh, well, Manson never killed anybody. Manson never did this. Manson never did that. Well, Manson was the first one into the La Bianca house by himself, tied them up and then brought his followers in. Of course. I mean, so, you know, it, he, he was so culpable in it. He tried to kill uh, lots of Papa Crow, um, a drug dealer. Uh, he actually shot him and thought he had killed him. So, I mean, it's like the guy was not innocent. Well, and it drives me crazy when people say he was. You know, but and this is the thing. It's like, 
you know, if, if what you're trying to say is he didn't kill him because he wasn't capable, no, he was just trying to get ahead of the curve and get somebody else to do the dirty work in case it ever came to anything. You could say, it wasn't me. You know, it wasn't because exactly. he wasn't capable of it. Yeah. Because I'm thinking I'm, to myself, how could you stand there and watch to see somebody killed and slaughtered that way? I mean, come on. Yeah, well, he he didn't think it was violent enough. Yeah, there. Uh, which is even which is even more scary. And it makes you wonder how, uh, because I, rem- I I was reading that you know after the 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 Tate Labianca murders were before they had captured them. They were looking, you know, that how Roman Polanski had finished the Rosemary's Baby movie. And they were saying that when he was filming that, he had gotten threats from some quasi, you know, uh, Satanist kind of deal. And they were thinking, was that the origin of where this had come from? And of course, right. they, ca- they caught the Manson people. But I think somewhere along the line, well, somebody was realizing whoever had done this was n- really, uh, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for, but. It wasn't just killing; it was just that that wholesale slaughter, that torture, right. that that, that sadistical edge over it. That well, even when the Mansons were arrested, they were not arrested for the murders. They still didn't know they had anything to do with it. What was it? It I wasn't think it until was, um... uh, it was a destruction of public property was the reason that they were arrested at Barker Ranch. Okay, yeah, I know that. They... I... They had been looking for their bottomless pit um, to uh, hide out in during the race war and uh, just decided to um, destroy a couple uh, pieces of construction equipment that they didn't realize or didn't care that they were still being used by the Park Service. And that's why they were arrested. They still didn't know anything about the murders until Susan Adkins decided to uh, start bragging about it once she was in uh, jail. There you go. What? And what yeah. was it? It was one of them that just came up for parole, like maybe two months ago, right before he died, and they turned her down. I can't remember what her name, which one. Um, of them. I, if I remember right, that was Krenwinkel. Right. Okay. And. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but I'm. I know I'm, it was. I, I think I, it was Krenwinkel. And. Uh, you know they. I get it. I get it. I get a lot of them confused. Well, no, they, they, the thing is that they, you know, they, you know, you look at them, you know, like you look at these pictures of when they were arrested, when they were really young, and now you look at them and it's like, you know, you might look like an older, nicer lady, but I'm sorry. <laughs> There's just something that I wouldn't want to find out if you would be capable of doing it if you were out in the world again. Exactly. Uh, one of the, one of the things that's kind of interesting, um, getting back to kind of the paranormal mm-hmm. as far as uh, the the whole Manson thing goes. Uh, have you ever heard of a, of a man by the name of David Oman? Yes, yes. I've, I've spoke. I, I've interviewed David. Oh, have you? Okay, because I was yes. going to say he, uh, he actually opens up his house to allow people to come in yes. and um, investigate, which I think is, is really kind of cool no, that, that he does that. So. Well, yeah. you know, the, 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 you know, I remember he was telling me that, you know, when uh, he bought that, that lot, because I asked him, I said, David, was there ever any structure there where you built your house? And I said, nope, it was just an empty lot. And his dad, which was a, a builder, got it at a real good price. 
and um it was one of those things that um you know it it you know it was so close to the location of the of where this took place but by the time he had bought it it was already after the time that they had demolished the house and they had and changed the address it. and um they built another structure on it so yeah right and uh but yeah, that's it's Father built his house together so right they're like it was it's a very um you know, but I, I know what he what he explained was that the 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 lots are pretty close to each other as far as when you go up that road. I mean, I've never been there physically, but from what he yeah, was describing, yeah, it, it, it is. Well, if um, I this is going to sound kind of funny, but if, if you look at the cover of uh, Hollywood Obscura, yes, um, it'll you can see the row of houses where where David's uh, house is, and I I actually snapped that picture from Falcon's Lair which is really kind of cool because Falcon's Lair is right across the street from uh, David's house. Okay. I mean, I, as a matter of fact, because I have a slide with some of your book covers and I was going to ask you about that book that you came out with, with Atlas Obscura, which sounds so interesting. Yeah. It, um, it's got a lot of um, old um, stuff in it, but there's a lot of new stuff in it as well. Um, I know just recently um, some English author came out and said that uh, she uh, she knows who killed the Black Dahlia. What? But but it I did I did so much research when I when I was uh, writing the Black Dahlia piece uh -huh. and none of what she is saying occurred I could find any trace of. So I don't know where she came up with it but to be perfectly honest with you, and I'm not claiming that I, I did it. It was, it was um, an FBI profiler and uh, a retired Los Angeles Times uh, investigative reporter. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure that they nailed who the killer of the Black Dahlia is. Let me ask and you. And it's, it's actually in the book. Let me ask you then, is it... And the thing, it's then not Dr. Hodel? Is, or is that what you're saying? No, you know what? No, Hoder. No. Hoder, I'm sorry. Yeah, Hoder, Hoder just hated his father. I mean, if you, if you take a look at the picture that he puts up and claims, and you put it next to Elizabeth, a picture of Elizabeth Short, mm -hmm. it is so obviously not the same woman. Okay. Um, uh, Hoder grew up literally hating his, his father, um, they use the Enos house, um, which is a, a famous movie location as, uh, the, the, the house where she was murdered. And it's just like, uh, no, um, I'm, I'm not going to go into it, but I do put a timeline and all of the reasons for, um, it, it, it's a man by the name of Walter Alonzo Bailey, uh, who, um, and this is my own personal belief, but mm -hmm. I am 99% sure he is most likely the one who killed Elizabeth. Okay. Um, but I, I, I detail what uh, uh, Hirsch and the FBI profiler came up with. Right. Um, and if, if you read what, what they say, um, it's, it's pretty obvious um, that he is most likely the killer.
And one of the reasons that he he, he never got caught okay. is he died of Alzheimer's a year after the murder. Really? Yeah. So, so I mean, there's there just so guy? many different. Was he or was he, he, he had premature Alzheimer's? Uh, no, he he was an older gentleman. Um, he had a connection to the Short family. His office was right around the corner from the the whole the whole thing just falls into place. Really, I gotta I gotta see. So yeah, I'm 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 always like because it's incredible. And let me ask you: Do you think besides that? Do you think that also um, because I've heard without doing like like what it sounds like you've done, which is you know deep uh, research on it. Do you think that part of the problem why nobody was caught was also that the police didn't handle it the right way as far as investigation was concerned? Uh, it's quite possible. Um, but until um, Hirsch did something rather unusual um, and actually had to check um, ownership of property in the uh, Lamert Park area, mm-hmm. there was nothing connecting um, uh, Bailey. Nothing. Okay. So I see what you're saying. he he was never he was never even on the radar. Right. So even if the if the police work would have been excellent, there was still no connection for them to tie him to the murder any or suspect him of anything. I see what you're saying. Exactly. And then the the fact that they were receiving hundreds of confessions daily. Really. Now, granted, wow. they were they were throwing most of them out because you know they could tell which ones were not even close to credible. Mm-hmm. The ones that were even remotely credible, they had to follow up on. So they were, you know, they just had this deluge that they had to, to wade through as far as all these people. Um, uh, and then because the murder itself resembled the torso killings in Chicago, they they were investigating uh, the possibility that that murderer came to L.A. And right. I, I really don't blame the, the police for not being able to pick up on, on who it who it was. Well, yeah, you always hear like, you know, that the but and I and understand there's only so much so many ways that you can stretch a, you know, a police force as far as manpower and forensics back then. We're not yeah. what we have now with DNA and all that other stuff. Not and even close. Do they I sus- will tell you the I'm one sorry, thing, though, that is the saddest part of the uh, Black Dahlia story mm-hmm. is what the um, the Herald did to Elizabeth Short's mother. Um, they had called her uh, the day after the uh, the body was found. Right. And, and told her that uh, Elizabeth had just won a beauty pageant. Oh, no. And started and started asking her all kinds of personal questions because they needed it for the story. Um, So her mother, you know, was just all happy and telling them, Oh yeah, she was this. And and then at the very end of the the interview, they said, Oh, uh, we do have some bad news though. We just wanted to make sure that you were comfortable. So was actually murdered. God, let me tell you something. I don't know how anybody could actually do that to somebody else. I don't know. 
Yeah, it, it's it's mind-boggling to me, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah. I mean, it just shows a callousness that I can't even comprehend. No, no, I can't either. And let me ask you, this guy that you're you're telling me that you think, do you think, he, uh, was there any um, evidence that if he ever committed any similar murders to that? Or was this an isolated incident? Um, it was an isolated incident. And they even have a theory for why it happened. And they basically don't really blame him for a conscious act either. Really? It's kind of a, yeah. Uh, it, it had to do with uh, his Alzheimer's, his uh, uh, family situation, the stresses on him. Not that that's an excuse, mind you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, you know, they, they came up with a, with a whole um, uh, comprehensive reason at, for, for why it happened. Because, you know, you, and that's the thing. I think that when everybody sees how the body, what was done to the body, uh, you know, postmortem, uh, everybody's always thinking, okay, somebody with medical expertise, somebody sadomasochistic, uh, psychopath, blah, blah, blah. And, well, he, he was a prominent surgeon. And, but it's, I guess that's the, and that's the part where I think people, it's, and uh, you know what? Especially back in those days, sometimes, especially doctors, people didn't want to, they, they weren't looked that hard as far as when crimes like that were committed because, mm-hmm. you know, you were a doctor. So. Right. You, know. you were an upstanding citizen. Exactly. We're not going to look at you. Yeah. You know, or not look at yeah. you hard, that hard anyway. Uh, or if not, you're going to call the mayor's office or something along those lines and then it'll come down on us. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That is so interesting. It would be great at what, some point to ever conclusively know who was the one that did yeah, that Yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, I don't think we'll ever know 100%. Um, mm-hmm. as, I, as I said earlier, um, for me, uh, having done the research um, and looked at a bunch of different theories of who, what, why, this is the only one that actually makes sense. Right. Um, which is why it's the only one I, I, I put in the chapter. Um, to me, I'm, I'm pretty certain that he's, he's the one that, that did it. But, you know, the reader has to make up their own mind. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and I saw that you also, I think, include in your book uh, something about Thelma Todd's garage. Yes. And I wanted to ask you, do you have any theories on who killed her? Um, my theory is that it was just a tragic accident. You think so? Yeah. Um, the, un, unless there was a giant conspiracy mm-hmm. uh, between the police, uh, Roland West, and the coroner's office, um, she could not have been killed outside of the garage and still had the uh, carbon monoxide in her in her system okay. however that be that being said mm-hmm. the, um, the the possible curse of the uh, joita still kind of has me going hmm that's kind of weird um, it, it's one of the things I put in the book Roland West owned a yacht okay called the M, called the MV joita 
Okay. And him and him and Thelma used to take it over to uh, Catalina. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the theories that came out was that Roland West killed her on the boat, brought her back to the garage, put her in the Lincoln, started the motor, closed the door, and walked away. Okay. But again, unless there was a giant conspiracy trying to protect Roland West, the, the carbon monoxide would not have been in her bloodstream. Okay. However, after Thelma died, and I'm not going to go into the whole thing, mm-hmm. uh, but a lot of weird stuff went on with the MV Joita, which the the ship itself actually became known as the Mary Celeste of the Pacific. You're kidding. No. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's kind of like, hmm, all right, well, this, this is a bit weird. Um, but it... It, it's really a cool tale, to be perfectly honest with you. Now, I've heard that Thelma Todd or something's going on there at that cafe she used to have. Have you heard anything um, about yeah. uh, anything going on there? Well, the, well, the cafe uh, was haunted, um, mm-hmm. and uh, Thelma was seen in both the casual dining area downstairs and the... Um, more exclusive uh, Joya's room, which was upstairs, mm-hmm. and then also seen in the third floor, which was her apartment. Right. Um, and even after the uh, Sidewalk Cafe was sold, it became uh, Paulist Productions. They were even reporting having seen uh, Thelma wandering around. But I will tell you one thing. I would love to go up there right now Mm-hmm. Because they are, they have completely gutted it. Yeah. Uh, they are completely redoing it, and I just want to go in because it's a well-known theory that during uh, major conversions and construction, yes. that activity ramps up, and I would just love to find out. You know, I, I was just past there about three weeks ago. Okay. And I was, I, I, my wife was like laughing at me because I was drooling thinking about going. <laughs> Believe like, me, I've done the exact same thing where I'm like, oh, I would give anything to like, you know, go in there and do this and do that. And you're absolutely right. Sometimes uh, kicks up the paranormal activity is exactly when you've got that type of demolition going on inside and things are being is like the spirit is like not happy about it. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it it's kind of sad in a way that um, it does. They've already changed the outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the the structure itself is the same but uh, the facade and everything is now changed so it doesn't even look like the same building really which wow. is kind of sad in a way yeah um, yeah because you would you want to think that they're going to keep that yeah because it's it's uh well yeah. it's it was from i want to say what from what many people call the golden age of hollywood and you know where the stars you know they were sometimes yeah. you know they were presented in the public a one way even though they had all these things going on and behind the scenes in their personal yeah. lives but exactly uh, and and you know and i and, and the reason why i asked you because I, I was you know there was i think there was even a theory that you know since what was it that she had the uh, didn't she wasn't she involved also with lucky luciano or something i mean they were thinking as like no was it a mob hit <laughs> you know that they wanted to take over her cafe yeah. as a casino uh, i mean it was like that, a roster that's... of people that wanted that you think well why would they um do this to her and she's very yeah. beautiful but my god she just was not lucky in love at all um no not really well uh, now she did 
head over heels was in love with Roland West. Mm-hmm. Um, Roland West, however, looked at her more as a little sister. Um, so it was kind of an unrequited thing with uh, with Roland West. However, uh, he did love her quite a bit, um, just not the way she had hoped. Right. Um, but as far as Lucky Luciano goes, um, he Lucky Luciano never once set foot in California. Really? Ever. Yeah. Um, and there's this. There, yeah, there, there's a big story about how. Uh, um, said, I want to use the uh, uh, second floor as a gambling casino. We can right. make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And her response mm-hmm. was, is over my dead body. And he said, well, that can be arranged. But like I said, though, the problem is, is Luciano never came to California, yeah, ever. So. And uh, both the Thelma Todd piece and the piece I did on Bugsy Siegel, mm-hmm. I did quite a bit of uh, in, in, uh, research into Luciano as well. Okay. So, okay. And again, there nothing ever came up about that other than a couple tales about uh, Luciano's one that killed Delmatad. But again, right. you know that that's just people. People are always trying to figure out why their heroes have passed, and I think it's just a case of that. Right, and I mean there was a lot of. Um... And it's like, you know, like everything, especially when you have a starlet and she's so famous and so beautiful and everything. And then this happens. And, um, you know, people sometimes would find it hard to believe that a person like this, which looks like they have everything, would commit suicide. And that's where you get all the theories going. Right. But again, um, I don't believe she committed suicide. I I believe she just didn't know any better. And uh, what was it? Because and you tell me, because obviously you've done it was something that from what I understand was that she had come back from having being out at night with some friends, having dinner and it was really cold. And she had gone up and knocked and that Roland didn't let her in. And supposedly that's when she goes back to her car that was in the garage, I guess, to keep warm. Correct. Now, Roland, he had a. an apartment um, at the uh, cafe, but he actually lived in a mansion above the cafe. Mm-hmm. And that's where the garage was as well, right. was um, below, just below the mansion. Right. Um, Thelma had been out um, at the Trocadero um, with uh, uh, a party for the uh, Lupinos. Mm-hmm. And, she was supposed to have been home by two o'clock because that's when Roland was going to close up the uh, cafe. Right. Um, she was late and apparently he forgot that she only had one key with her and he locked both locks. Okay. So when she got home, she couldn't get in because he had locked both locks and she only had the, the key for the bottom lock. Okay. So she made her she made her way up uh, this really long flight of stairs. I've seen those stairs. I'm like, uh-uh, I ain't going up that um, to the garage. And it was December 16th, so it was pretty cold in Malibu. Okay. Um, and um, she she climbed into her Lincoln, started the car, and uh, 
with the garage door closed and most likely passed out because she was rather drunk. Yeah. Um, right. And it, I, I, like I said, I, I think it was just a case of accidental, accidental death. That's my own personal belief. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes again, it's, 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 and that's again where people think where, you know, you die, you die just out of plain ignorance or stupidity, that kind of deal that like, wow. <laughs> Yeah. Now, one of the things I do in the book is I don't make any concrete assumptions um, unless it's it's a well-known fact of how mm -hmm. somebody passed away. And in the case of um, Thelma, I, I do, you know, I, I leave it up to the reader to decide. I try and give all the different stories. Uh, the same with uh, George Reeves. Um, I don't say I believe this or or. Right. You know, I don't believe that. Um, I just try and give the facts and right. let the reader decide for themselves. Yeah, because it's like a big open question mark. You really don't know. That's what it looks like. It could have been something else. Again, you know, without concrete proof, it's like you said, it's likely to remain a mystery because most of those players are dead. Everybody that was around at that time has long since taken the dirt nap. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly true. Yes. And uh, yeah. I saw that you also wrote another book, Haunted San Pedro. And Correct. what is, uh, what's going on there as far as do they have any um, well-known haunted locations or not so well-known? Because I think sometimes those are the most interesting ones. Um, well, the the well-known ones, I'm going to assume people uh, know, have, have heard of these. Um, the USS Iowa. Yes. Um, which I'm a volunteer security on board. Um, and they, they don't really like us talking about the spirits on the ship, but um, they're very, the spirits on board the Iowa are very helpful. They're, really? again, nothing, nothing scary, nothing um, that's, that's going to harm you. They mm -hmm. actually um, have been known to, to, to help out the crew, especially the ops crew, um, when when they're trying to repair the ship and things like that, um, okay. the Banning Mansion may some people may have heard of that. Uh, Phineas Banning is is probably one of the most famous people in California. Um, his um, his house is uh, well, his mansion um, is uh, supposedly haunted. Uh, okay. The Drum Barracks, which is a, an old Civil War. Um, uh, fort, okay. which is where they brought the um, the camels. Uh, I don't know if if you're familiar with the Camel Corps. Um, um, I mean, I think I had heard about they, it, but yeah, they, they brought in a bunch of camels to see if they'd be good for the uh, desert. Okay. And uh, the camels pretty much ate everything in sight, so they got <laughs> rid of them and just basically put them out in the desert. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> <So>. Okay, <laughs> we got a big goat yeah. on our hands. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, I've got a few interesting uh, lighthouses, uh, two lighthouses that uh, um, are kind of um, the Point Furman Lighthouse and the Point Vicente Lighthouse. Uh, Fort MacArthur, um, I don't know how many people have heard of Fort MacArthur, but it was the key to the defense of the Los Angeles Harbor okay. from uh, basically World War World War One until it... Uh, finally closed in 80, 84, if I remember correctly. Um, I also used to be a volunteer there, so that, that was 
kind of cool. You know but then what? I also kind of, I also kind of cheated a little bit on on San Pedro. What happened? Instead of using instead of using the city proper, mm-hmm. I used the old rancho uh, San Pedro, okay. which was one of the the largest ranchos in California. Okay, and it was also the it was also land grant given to somebody in California by the Mexican government. Wow. It must have been a huge area. Yeah, <laughs> it actually was. But uh, like I said, I wanted to uh, include some of the more, uh, uh, at least locally famous mm-hmm. um, areas. Uh, so um, I kind of threw that in there. And uh, the Dominguez Rancho, which was the only... It was it was called the Battle of the Old Woman's Gun, and it was the only battle of the Mexican-American War that the Mexicans won, and they won it handily, even though they were outnumbered. Why was it named that? <laughs> I have to ask. Well, the the Mexicans had actually hidden uh, some cannon, okay, um, on the property, uh huh, and. The property at that time was owned by um, an old woman. Okay. And she hid them in her barn. And uh, so uh, when the, after the battle, they just dubbed it the Battle of the Old Woman's Gun because she was standing there watching, watching the battle as they uh, wheeled the uh, cannons out. Why not? I just had yeah. to ask. You know, I had to ask because I go, okay, where does this old lady figure in this? <laughs> Yeah, it's actually really a cool story if you if you ever decide to look it up. Yeah, I am. I am. Absolutely yeah. I am. And you know what those things that you're saying that you were doing the the security or the volunteer I think that that is from the paranormal aspect. That's absolutely how you really really get to witness a lot of things that sometimes <clears throat> just because you're there different days, different times consistently, you know, over a period of time is usually yeah. when you actually get to see or witness or whatever stuff that you're that's paranormal well one of the funniest things that happened on board the iowa uh-huh um there there is a, a third deck down is uh, called broadway and it's this very long corridor that spans between the number three turret in the back all the way up to the number one turret in the front of the ship and we we didn't have it open because we uh, were still in the process of, of bringing the ship back to life. Okay. But we were running a tour down there, uh, a private tour. And the two security officers, it was uh, the security lead and uh, another security officer. Um, they had just finished the tour. They were still down on Broadway. Um, and they had done their final sweep to make sure nobody was left behind. As they were climbing up the ladder, uh, one of them looked back and he saw a sailor leaning against the bulkhead. And he called up to the other security officer and said, do you see that? And the other security officer said, "Uh uh-huh. And then they both ran up the ladder to the second deck. (laughs) Well, when they turned around, they looked down and here comes the sailor up up the ladder. So... They ran as fast as they could up to the main deck, which is out in the sunlight, uh, turned around, and they didn't see the uh, sailor. 
So they walk up to the other two security officers, uh, one of which was me, uh-huh. and uh, we, we, we looked at them, and uh, the other security officer looks at them and he goes, what, did you guys see a ghost? <laughs> and, I qu- and I quote, that's all either one of them could say. And we we both just started cracking up. <laughs> I bet. I bet. You know what? I mean, literally, neither one of them could talk. <laughs> just so like, were any of oh. them? Anyone... <laughs> so who was the next one that volunteered to go down there? Me. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> I, I was kind of running down there. But unfortunately, there were, I didn't see anything. I was like, darn it. But you know what? It's bad enough that you see the ghost, but then he's following you. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, he might have just been giving him an escort, you know. Let me tell you. Yeah, it was just it was just really funny the way neither one of them could get a word out. It's, it's like, I bet. They must have been like, how does he know? No, he's just. And, 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 and it's like, and the thing is, like what you said, both of them saw this. Yeah, thing. both of them. So it's like, <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was, it, it was, it was kind of cool. I just wish one of them would have been me, but yeah. let me ask you, has <laughs> anybody ever said apart from them that they had seen the same sailor again before or after? Well, there, there's actually a, um, a tale of, uh, somebody that has been dubbed chief Roberts. Okay. Um, and this is the only incident I know of where somebody has actually seen a spirit on the ship. Okay. Um, but a, another, another story, one of the, uh, the, and this was when the ship was up in uh, Richmond, California. Um, it had just been pulled out of mothballs and we were trying to get it back into in, down to the Los Angeles uh, Harbor. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the ops guys, ops, by the way, is, are the ones that, uh, uh, do all the repairs on the ship okay. um, from the sail locker. And uh, when he tried to grab one of the rungs on the ladder, his hand slipped off and he started to fall. Oh. And he felt somebody push him back up onto the ladder. But when he turned around to thank whoever it was, he realized that he was about 25 feet up in the air and there was nobody there. Wow. And so it was, everybody was saying, well, Chief Roberts was helping you out. Um, People have lost tools and they'll turn around and the tool will be there. Um, So it's, it's a helpful spirit. Yeah. And and it's actually kind of funny because Chief Roberts, um, the story grew while the ship was still in service in the eighties. Really? Yeah, it was still an active Navy ship, and uh, the chief was making himself known. But what's so odd is I've gone back through the uh, crew records, and we can find no Chief Roberts. Okay, I was about to ask you, so did you, you know, why does everybody think it's Chief Roberts? Did you Like, I mean, did people finally say, hey, this looks like so-and-so, and then it's like, yeah, it is so-and-so. Well, oh. I think probably what happened is, is no one really knew who it was, so they just dubbed him Chief Roberts. Chief Roberts. That's okay. the only thing I can think of, yeah. Um, yeah, but it's really, it's really kind of cool. And what I think is funny is, like I said, we're not really supposed to talk about, uh, the spirits and stuff. 
but uh, I've noticed as I as I trail some of the tour groups when I'm making my rounds on the ship uh-huh. that the tour guides the tour guides are actually starting to talk about some of the experiences that they've had on the ship. Okay, of course, everybody everybody wants to hear it. It's like, I mean, let's face yeah. it. I mean, how long uh, that ship was? Uh, what was it from World War Two onward? The USS. Nineteen nineteen. 19- 1943, okay. um, and then 90, 91 is when it was mothballed, okay. 1991. Okay. Um, right. And then she was the last of the U.S. battleships to be turned over to a, a museum ship. Okay. Okay. And, yeah, that, uh, of course, I mean, so many things go on there in those ships. Um I mean, like I said, my son, he served on the USS Ronald Reagan. And, I mean, that's a nice. much bigger ship. I mean, I know it's a huge, you know, in yeah, comparison. It's <laughs> but still, it's like, uh, you know, people live their lives out in these ships. And uh, you've got all the emotions there. There's the joy. Oh, the, yeah. The, 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 the heartbreak. Whatever's going on, you're just living it out on a ship. Yeah, well, it, yeah, it, it's like the, uh, the USS Hornet. Uh, CV-12, which is based up in uh, Alameda. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote about her for California's Historic Haunts. Okay. And she's got all kinds of activity on board. Okay. And the nice thing about that is the museum itself has fully embraced the ghosts. Really? Um, yeah, they, they, they have overnight investigations um, and... Um, you you can literally I mean they they actually have uh, paracons on the ship the gray ghost paracon wow uh, so they they've full they've fully embraced it now the Iowa to be fair to them and one of the reasons that they don't really like speaking about the spirits is the um, Iowa forty seven is still way too fresh. Um, that was the uh, turret explosion back in 1989 right. that uh, killed 47 sailors. Mm-hmm. And we actually we actually have volunteers who were on board that day. So it's more of a um, we, we don't want to be insensitive to right. that. Yeah, I, I understand totally what you're saying as far as out of respect because exactly because of what happened. And absolutely. Yeah, I right. can see. I could see. What, but yeah, but when I, I was writing the way. chapter, um, when I was writing the chapter on the Iowa um I sat down with a couple of the uh, uh, higher-ups, um, and we kind of went over what I had written, and they asked me to change a few things, and, um, you know, we kind of went back and forth. So they, they were they were very receptive. Oh, that's good. As far as le- allowing me to write about it, so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm sure most of them, it's like, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's understandable. I, 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 I totally understand like what you said, why they, they're kind of very careful about that. You know, absolutely. So let me tell you something. I have enjoyed this so much, Brian, your stories are fantastic. Um, like, you know, uh, and of course that, the, that, uh, one that, the, the one that you just put out the, uh, Hollywood Obscura, which is, Uh um, like I was saying, you know, uh, there was that time in Hollywood where so many things would go on behind the scenes, uh, but they wanted to present 
uh, the lifestyle of some of these stars or starlets a certain way. But in truth, what was going on uh, was so out there. And then, of course, some of them met their ends in very unusual ways. I mean, Hollywood is full of mysteries. And, you know, whether you were a star or people just behind the scenes, there's a lot of... Uh, yeah, there there were there were a few things that would make a gangster blush, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yes. You know, especially those times yeah. when the studios own the stars, you know, and, you know, they sign them up to these contracts. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, they kind of protected their investment at all costs. And, um, you know, just a lot of things went on there behind the scenes. And in other words, well, you was... know, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say a lot of a lot of people don't realize that uh, in the early days of Hollywood, mm -hmm. um, they weren't stars wouldn't even have their names put on the movies. Wow. It was all about the director yeah, and, it was and the production, huh? Yeah. Well, that, and they didn't want to have to pay the stars any more money. And it was actually Carl Lemley from uh, Universal Studios who uh, finally opened up the uh, the star system. Wow. Yeah. So, I can yeah. imagine that, that's, yeah. By the way, that, that's, that, that's my next book, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Haunted History of Universal Studios. I bet there's plenty of it. I, it and oh, I guess, you have no idea. No, the point I was trying to make was that all the circumstances, whether it's what's surrounding them or their lifestyle or the people that are involved, they're all fodder for most active hauntings that you come across. Tragedies, revenge, yeah. uh, love life, you know, gone wrong, uh, uh, you know, uh, weird people, you know, as far as... Uh, you know the drugs uh, all that other everything there is perfect to produce ghosts so it's like it's yeah no well surprise. i'm telling you it, it, hollywood definitely has its more than fair share of spirits i can tell you that yeah i bet it does i yeah. bet it does i mean and, and and i'm thinking and these are the people that made it you know you always hear about all these other people that would go out to hollywood you know looking for the big break and they never went anywhere and a lot of them ended up um you know, you know, Peg and, Peg and Twistle. Yeah. Look at her. She took that yep. big dive off the, the Hollywood sign. Exactly. You know, so there was a yeah. lot of Peg and Whistles out there. Some of them wouldn't go back home and others just didn't. And they ended up in very uh, bad places or died under really bad circumstances. We just don't really know about it because, you know, they never became famous or notorious or whatever. But absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, you, Hollywood is 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 both a uh, a town of dreams and a town of nightmares. Well, and I think that when it comes to the paranormal, which is what your you know part of your book relates to, um, <clears throat> Hollywood a lot was built. It's a lot of like image illusion. That image. Uh, exactly. And the flip side of it is like talk about a dark underbelly. Yeah. And there's definitely a dark yeah, underbelly. Yeah, there's about what would you say yeah. at least? Well, what maybe a hundred years of dark underbelly there, more or less. Uh, uh, more than that. Yeah. And I mean, it literally goes. It literally goes all the way back to uh, Thomas Edison trying to uh, uh, monopolize the uh, movie industry. Really? See, I, I love that. Yeah. I love learning about those things because. You know, there's always the backstory to the backstory, <laughs> or yeah. the the part that never got publicity, or nobody, you know, d d don't talk about that, you know. 
Let's let's keep that hush. Well, that, that's one of the things uh, I always joke about is the fact that I think I use writing as an excuse to do research. Yes, I, I I'm a I'm a fellow research lover myself, and um, yeah. it's it's either one you find uh, what was it omission of the truth uh, or an outright lie uh, or you know like I said. Back then, you know, all these movie modules, they, they kind of controlled the newspapers and all these gossip columns, and uh, they kind of yeah, controlled they that little world as far as what was fed to the public, uh, including, I think, crimes. Yeah. Um, and sometimes... Yeah, there's like we, definitely that. Well, no, like what we were talking about, sometimes the players or anybody that could have come forward and said, hey, that's not the way it happened, or the person that really did this, they're all dead. Everybody's dead now. Mm-hmm, exactly. So. And the, the believe it or not, the mob controlled a lot of it. Really? Well, I mean, you know why? Because, yeah. I, as you can tell, I mean, <laughs> I'm not a big, my, my research as far as mobs, but, you know, you always think of the mobs, like, uh, going into, like, Las Vegas and things like that, and... Um, and yeah, you know, you, you hear about certain mobsters that went Hollywood, but you never really think of it as the mob really running it, even though I'm sure they were always doing all the stuff as far as uh, prostitution and things like that. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you had a, you had a few of them that were uh, studio heads. Wow. So, so you're going to write that book or and- is that in one of your books already? Well, some of it's already in uh, Hollywood Obscura, especially under okay. uh, George Reeves and then, and then Bugsy Siegel. So, yes. Yes. Um, I kind of touch on it. George Reeves is another one that was like, huh? That's yeah. One. That that's another one that I'm kind of iffy on what actually happened. On what actually happened? It's like uh, take your pick as to who was the one that. That did it have have you seen a movie called Hollywoodland? Yes, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, very, very good movie. And I like the way that they kind of give you all of the different theories without telling you which one they right. subscribe to. Right, and when you look at it, you're at the end, you're like, wow, okay. It could have been any yeah. of these versions could have applied as to who or how this man ended up dead. Exactly. Well, George is, George is still at his house and at the Pasadena Playhouse, so... Really? One of these days, hopefully, he'll uh, he'll let me know what uh, what actually happened. Uh, I'm hopeful. <laughs> You're hoping to get that breakthrough EVP or, like... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, Brian, thank you so much for spending this time with oh, me. Oh, my pleasure. It was fantastic. It was great. And uh, we'll be talking, and, and I'm looking forward to reading your next book for you for, for about Universal. I, I, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Take care. Bye-bye. At least I hope so. And and if not, blame my wife. <laughs> Don't ask me how that works, but you know we'll we'll figure it out. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right. Thanks. Bye. I loved it. And I want to tell you what. <clears throat> wow, I had a coughing fit there. Um. You know what? <clears throat> I know everybody thinks. Excuse me that Hollywood's been overdone. But <clears throat> as far as anybody that's done the paranormal work, um, when you look at, I wasn't kidding, when you look at who are 
usually, you know, everybody knows, okay, you know, people that die violently, um, traumatic deaths, uh, you know, these are all the reasons why, you know, people end up, you know, becoming ghosts. And in Hollywood, this is what you find over and over again. Uh, you come across just people that go out there with all these dreams, <clears throat> you know, becoming a star. Uh, a lot of them burn their bridges with their family of origin because, you know, they kind of leave home. Some of them don't. They go and uh, <clears throat> and I'm going to and, and the perfect example of this is, um, you know, I'm sure everybody's seen in the news uh, all this information that's come out about you know, uh, the sexual harassment and uh, people that were being um, basically either either going from rape to all these things in the movie industry. And this has come out and it's exploded, and of course, but do you really think that that and a lot worse was not taking place way back when people would, uh, when Hollywood started going, when all these studios started setting up? Um, this was around the time that, you know, that term came about, like the casting couch was because this is how, you know, if you were out there and, you know, you were a star or a starlet or somebody aspiring to go forward, chances are, um, you had some times to make compromises or do things to get ahead. And back then they had the power to, uh, either make you a big star or make sure that you never worked again. So um, the reason w what I'm trying to say is that uh, a lot of these uh, people that went that would go out there to Hollywood, unfulfilled dreams, uh, things like that. Sometimes they are the perfect materials that become ghosts. Whether it's like he said, like Peg Entwistle that committed suicide by jumping off the the Hollywood sign because she just didn't think she was gonna make it. Um, uh, other people that you know they they develop problems with drugs or they have love lives that go sideways and like I said back then these studios were really careful to manage the star's personal life as far as what the public was aware of and then behind the scenes other things were taking place look at what happened with Marilyn Monroe even after so many years after her death there's still conspiracy whether she committed suicide or whether she was killed all right and if you look at that she was successful she was beautiful she was what 36 years old when she died so many things that um, that that you would think that a lot of these uh, people that make it in Hollywood when I say Hollywood whether it's the music industry or or the movies and they make all this money you know you think how can anybody un be unhappy but yeah whether it's because of what's going on with them uh, people around them circumstances that happen to them uh, and this is like I said this is the perfect uh, setting for um, unhappy souls people that die and they just don't transition on because they still feel something that's binding them to whether where they lived, where they worked. Uh, there's some resolution they never got despite what, and what he talks about is 
and 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 you find a lot of it it's true what he was saying about when you do research which is you come across like things that you're like I didn't know this all right um which is the, uh just because you don't know about it doesn't mean it never happened all right and you realize <clears throat> that there was um, that there was a price to be paid for your fame in other words uh, and even money would not insulate you from tragedy or from unhappiness and there you have your active or intelligent haunting so anyway guys please subscribe to my channel uh, hit the like button uh, follow me on Facebook find me on Twitter I'm live streaming there uh, you know you can find the uh, this video on YouTube. You can find the podcast of the show on iTunes, on Spreaker, on SoundCloud, on iHeartRadio. If you go to storiesofthesupernatural.info, you will also uh, you can listen to the podcast or download it there as an MP3 file. And like I've said before, my other shows, I'm looking for my true believers. I'm still uh, send me those stories. Film yourself. Uh, Tape yourself however you like. Whatever story you want to tell me. If you went out in your backyard and you saw Bigfoot, let me hear about it. Whatever the case might be, I'm ready to listen to your stories. And like I said, whether I retell it or whether I actually use the footage, uh, you can put a note if you want me to exclude names. I don't care. Uh, this is not about proving or disproving the story. If it's third hand and it was a friend of a friend or something that happened 25 years ago at a place you used to live that's fine with me just send it to me and i'll take care of the rest and i really appreciate it more than anything i appreciate all the time that you guys spent here looking at the video and listening to the podcast take care thank you